I do have an obsession with Chicago lately. And even though you're not from Chicago, you're from Aurora, from your Spotify bio at least. And I looked that up and that's about close to an hour outside of Chicago. So you're not specifically Chicago, but just. It's like that uh, running joke where everyone outside of Chicago goes, oh, I'm from Chicago. Yeah. We get that. I'm from New Jersey. I'm from New York, but you're not. (laughs) Yeah. We get that here. We get that here in Seattle as well. Cause like I was, fuck, what was I listening to? I was listening to this podcast. Oh, what was it? It was Whiskey Ginger. Do you know what Whiskey Ginger is? No. Oh, it's, um, what's his name's podcast? Fuck, I'm forgetting his name. Andrew Santino. He was on, um, he was Little Dickie's manager and Dave, if you watched that. Oh, wow. <laughs> but um, he's also a comedian. And basically, he had the Seattle comedian on the podcast the other day. And they were talking about how um, see, it's Seattle is this built up city. And then literally 20 minutes outside of Seattle, it's all just fucking farmland. And then two hours out, it's Hickville. And it's just, it's just funny. Like, there's nothing really built up outside of Seattle. Of course, there's cities and stuff, but it's mostly kind of like farmland. Like for me, even I um I grew up in East Seattle, but now I live an hour outside of Seattle, and I'm in the fucking woods. So, <laughs> and people like people fucking two and a half, three hours out will be like, "Yeah, I'm from Seattle," because you're not gonna be like, "Oh, I'm from bumfuck Washington." Right. They won't know where you're talking about to begin with. Yeah. So, so with that though, I wanna I wanna focus on like your come up because you 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 gain success. Um, kind of young and then you you know you trans transitioned over to this like psychedelic band so I want to focus a little bit on your your come up even though it's probably been beating like a dead horse a little bit but I feel like that's important for um, um, my listeners and maybe we'll learn some more stuff about you that your your fans don't know about either and um, yeah yeah it's an interesting part about my story thinking back because I started even though I, I'm making the music and I am who I am now, and I'm making the music of, who, of what I wanted to make when I was 16, my story into the music industry was so different. Yeah. And I think looking back, I almost see it as a really cool opportunity to kind of show people to just do whatever they want. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I grew up in Illinois. I was born in Aurora. I lived in Napier, um, sorry. I lived in Plainfield, Illinois. My, my dad had a music store. In, called Naperville Music that sold guitars and pianos. Mm. So that was like the family business. And that's kind of how I cut my teeth. I would just run around the store and I'd pick up like a guitar, I'd pick up a piano, or I'd pick up, a, you know, drums, bass. like. And, uh, you know, I, I would just kind of sit there for hours. And I remember the first time I, I had this Teach Yourself Guitar Chords book and I had to be about like seven or eight years old. And... Uh, I taught myself E and A and I remember like the first moment that I learned B I went oh like that's enough for a song Mm. Um, even though honestly E was enough for a song but like uh, I remember that I the exact moment sitting on the stool and I pieced together that I could play the Beatles in spite of all the danger Mm -hmm. and I sat there and I played it for the first time and that feeling was just electric and I, I just really never stopped after that Oh, my first instrument was drums. That was my first love. My brother was a drummer and there was always a drum set set up. So I wanted to be like him. So I just would jump on his kit yeah. and I would sing like, you know, old 60s songs. My dad was in a, uh, like a 60s kind of cover band growing up, which kind of, I mean, 
does sound like the genesis for a lot of what I'm into. Um, yeah, yeah. Although I just feel like it would be like that anyways. Uh, and I used to come up on stage and, and, and I would, you know, play guitar and they would do like this bit, like what, like who's this kid who wandered on stage and, that was really fun. And I, I, I played with a lot of people cause my, my dad would, you know, do just like the Illinois festival circuit, like, you know, Oktoberfest, strawberry fest, you know, we're on the little like metal truck thing and you're playing to like, Oh, uh, with the cover band you're saying. Yeah. Like a cover band. It's like a, you know, a hill people want a blanket and it's like, it's really cool. I mean, I, I'm really nostalgic for, for those kind of times. So I, I think that's where like kind of the Genesis stuff started. Uh, we moved to Arizona when I was 14 my parents wanted to get away from like the weather and me not really being too online to life. I was just like, sure. <laughs> and yeah. not really thinking that I was going to have no friends when I moved out there. So when <laughs> my I moved, friends are just going to move with me or something. Right. <laughs> right. I was like, I'll make friends. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm the least sociable person that I know. <laughs> so uh, when I moved to Arizona, I started writing songs for the first time. And that was, the years might get a little foggy, but like, I, I just remember at the time there were, the, it was like that explosion of like indie pop, indie rock in mainstream. Mm-hmm. And the moment I started writing songs, the first stuff I made actually kind of sounds like communicant, mm-hmm. but a 15 year old version. And then I feel like uh, once my parents heard it and then my friends heard it. The music I was making, there was like a lot of like, Oh, you could be this, you could be this thing. You could be, you know, you put, you could be famous, but you need to have a TV show. Like you need to have uh you need to be on Disney. It, it was like it, it, that kind of bad influence already started to get in. So it was like, like early 2000s you're saying, or is this, this is 2000, uh, 12. Oh and, yeah. Yeah. And so, in my mind, I started going, oh, okay. And, you know, I started writing songs and I, and I, I think right there, it's like this back to the future alternate timeline where I started writing songs and, and doing, and, and expressing myself and everything, but in a, uh, a subconscious way of commercialism, um, which is not a bad thing. It just, I it was influencing me in the wrong way where I feel like if I can go back, I would have kept myself just making the music that kind of sounded like communicate when I was 15. Right. Um, so I made this pop record and I put it up on Spotify and it, it the, the lead song just blew up because Spotify had just come out and it got in a Spotify official Spotify playlist, which is still the only time that's ever happened to me. And, uh, Oh, so you didn't even like put any marketing behind it. No, I was like, uh, my friends are just going to put this up on the fridge and be like, that's nice and go along with their day. But then it got in this playlist called Smart is the New Sexy. <laughs> Hilarious. You <laughs> can say there's nothing sexy about <laughs> me or, or that song. And uh, so, yeah, that was kind of my genesis into the music industry. It was after that Warner Brothers contacted me and reached out and reissued the record and then they put a lot of pressure like um and my experience on a major label there was like creative freedom under a <laughs> you better do this kind of thing so it was like we're gonna give you you know go to go go make your record but you need to you need to make a top 40 record you need to be you need to compete with sean mendez you need to compete with this shit and like this and that shit and yeah i, I just 
really, I, well, you know, I was like, I, I, I did the assignment. I was like, cool. You know, I'll, I'll, you're, you're like 18 and you just like, Ooh, there's these stars in your eyes and someone's like, do this. And you're like, you got it. I'm going to do that. So wait, so how old were you when you got signed to Warner? On my 18th birthday. 18. Holy shit. <laughs> and then you released the song when you're how old? Uh, the first thing I ever released was when I was 14. 14. I've taken a lot of stuff down, but, uh, why am I telling people that? <laughs> but when I was 15, I put out, uh, what was called morning stories. And that was kind of like a, that was like a, a baby pop site. It was like, I was listening to like the black keys and the vaccines at that time. And everything, mm. everything was kind of like farfisa'd and blown out with reverb and yeah. And, and to me that had a lot more charm than the stuff I made after that. I know I like, I, I, it feels weird because like I kind of I kind of put down a, a lot of that music from my my solo like artist career and and I know a lot of people um, like that stuff and connect with it and I, I think that's really cool. Um, wait, if you, if you connect with it and stuff. Wait, so you were so did you you wanted to be famous and it just happened? Like, was there any like marketing plan behind any of this, or you just threw it up no, and just no. hope for something to happen? Um, or? Well. I think being honest, I think when you're, when you're 16, 17, you're like, yeah, I want to be famous. And yeah. I think when you, when you grow up, it's a, it, it's, you realize it's different, which is much now is I want to be successful. Yeah. Uh, as in, I want, you want to be able to do, you want to be able to continue to do what you love. And that's, that's what matters to me. It doesn't really matter. Actually, being famous was, would be a nightmare. I would absolutely like to not be famous. You could be, you could be famous <laughs> um, for licking the fucking ice cream in the grocery store. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Um, I just think fame means a total different thing in 2022 yeah. than it did. I, I feel like in the, you know, from let's say let's say the 50s to the early 2000s, I think fame was a byproduct of being really good at something. Yes. Now it is a, a totally different, like the separation of, of talent and fame, and I, I, I don't, I don't like it. Kind of makes me <laughs> really anxious. It's like being an influencer, like in the before social media, being an influencer meant you were like a fucking military veteran or something, or a motivational speaker. Now being an influencer, that, that's a lot cooler than <laughs> ice cream pop at a grocery store. <laughs> now that's what an influencer is just looking <laughs> ice cream or some or some shit or looking the toilet. I don't know why everything has to do with licking, but like you know when right. like someone's like yeah. licking the toilet. Yeah, on the you're airplane. ideas here. This is clearly the pathway to success. <laughs> uh, but to answer your question, it really was that crazy and that fast because I was like, we don't know anybody, we yeah. don't know this or that we couldn't send it out to anywhere. I mean, we tried to cold send emails out to people when I made my first album, but it was like, I uploaded to Spotify. I remember being in the patio on, in Arizona with, with my brother and him going like, have you heard of Spotify? And I was like, no, what's that? And he's like, well, Paul Simon's on it. And I'm like, okay, well they got everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that was my reaction. And, uh, and I was like, okay, well, you know, when I upload it through uh, TuneCore, I'll just like check the box for Spotify. Yeah. Checked it. Um, and I remember just kind of went along with my life. I played a gig at a local restaurant for two people. And nice. I remember a week later I was at Panda Express, uh, cause I'm from the Midwest and <laughs> that's high class. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
And uh, I remember checking my Spotify. I was like, oh, I, you know, I haven't like logged in to check my Spotify to yeah. see how that's doing. And I remember logging in a week after I uploaded it, and the first song on my album had eighty thousand plays. Wow! And I thought that it was a typo <laughs> uh, because I remember once when I was a, a kid, it said on Instagram like, oh, like Haley Williams from Paramore followed you, and it totally said that, and. I even like went and checked her like profile and said she was following me. And then I refreshed my phone and it was a lie. No. I don't know how. So I was just very like, this is, this is fake. I kept refreshing it and, and it was real. And I called my, my manager uh, who I had just got. And I was like, did you see this? Wait, and how'd you get a manager? What was the process for that? The process for that was just like cold reaching out emails. Oh. And we met uh, an attorney uh, from sending out emails like a, like a music attorney. Yeah. And he's like, I'll pass it along to some people. Um, everyone said no, except for my manager, Jeffrey, who was working at Hollywood Records at the time. And I was like, whoa, you know, this got to a record label. Like, wow. And and he's like, when can you come out to LA? And I was like, I'm going to be on a record label. And I flew out there and uh, played for him in his office. And he's like, I, I talked to him for two hours, basically uh, about records, not even really about anything else. Which yeah. Has been, yeah. And uh, I got home thinking like I was, was going to be on this label and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I'm going to leave my job to manage you. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, and that was eight years ago and he's still my manager. Wow. So uh, that's a yeah. crazy. It, it's a really, you know, it's a really interesting story. Kind of like how I, I, I started and, uh, yeah, and then you know, cut to like, made a record on Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers, everyone got fired who signed me, and there was no intention to actually put out the record that I made. And wait, what they fired? They got fired because they hired because they signed you? Or oh what? no, <laughs> uh, more complicated than that. I mean, just that's a that's a major label thing, right? That yeah. just like a new CEO will come in, a new president will come in, and poof, just turnover is super crazy. And, you know, pretty much everyone that I worked with either got fired or they were like, this isn't what I was promised. I'm quitting. Uh, mm. And and I remember my A&R calling me being like, look, between you and me, like, you should get off this label. <laughs> He's like, I love you and I love your music and I want to see you succeed. And I don't want to see you like handcuffed for the rest of your life. So he wow. uh, he got he he and the president got me out of my contract just like that. Holy shit. So you saw, some, you saw some like dark sides of being on a record label then. Oh, I had, I thought my experience was unique uh, for about like a day. And then everyone I've ever talked to was like, yeah. It's like saying like, oh, I had the worst time at the DMV. Like I had to wait in this <laughs> line and then they made me wait in this line. And someone goes, have you never been to the DMV before? It was exactly like that. Oh, <laughs> that's sad. <laughs> um, And I feel really bad for, a lot of artists that didn't get their record back. And I, I think about that all the time because I I don't think some people who are artists on the label got, were, were lucky enough to have a phone call like that. Right. Um, so that was really tough. And that was obviously, that was emotionally devastating for me. It's like breaking up with your future because to me, that was a, to me, that was a security net um, when in reality, it actually hurt me a lot because yeah. they slowed my momentum 
because I had put out this album and I had the freedom to, to make and produce another album. But the problem was that they actually slowed things down so much. I totally lost that momentum, which is looking back now, I'm like, thank God. Uh, <laughs> Wait, so how, how old were you at this point? Like how long were you on the record label for? I feel like I was like a year, year and a half, maybe two years. Okay. Um, I think I was like out. I think I signed when I was 18 and I was out by 19. I think it was that. And that was like 2012 you're saying or something? This was, I got signed when I had been, I just woke up. Um, <laughs> Good morning. I got signed in 2015. Oh, I was way off. 2014 or 2015. Well, I'm, the album, the first album came out in 2014. So in between then, okay. and I was off, I was off by 2016. Got it. So at that, so were you still in school during this time, or did you drop out of school to focus on? I dropped, yeah, I dropped out of school and Holy then became shit. homeschooled. So I was okay. just doing online K12 while I was doing all this, uh, which was actually like not stressful. Like I really liked school. Yeah. And- <laughs> um. That was a little, it was actually like the school I was going to was really difficult. And then the, the homeschool was way too easy and I kind of didn't learn anything. But Interesting. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I, you know, I had done all this work and I, here I am off Warner Brothers and I, you know, I, I, I put out, I put out the record that we made uh, myself because I got the master back and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and a couple months later I kind of realized that I don't really like the record because it's it sounds so glossy and so every song was going for a radio hit because it was going for a radio hit and like that doesn't make a good record <laughs> right um, and at the same you know and i look back at my interviews that i did when i was on warner brothers and i'm, I'm doing these interviews and i'm talking about francois hardy and and 13 floor elevators and the millennium and and i think that's when I it's I started getting that goes in my head like why aren't I making music like the stuff that I like, and I kept soul searching, kept soul searching, and I realized why I wasn't was my deep subconscious was going well it will never sell, and I think after the Warner Brothers stuff I had this uh, pessimistic optimist attitude where I was like if the world is going to shit why don't I just make what I want to make because I'll be yeah. happy you know like. And it was, it was just such this no-brainers, right? So then I was like, I'm going to produce a record myself because I had only worked with producers uh, to that point um, who taught me a lot. But uh, Even when you like released your first music? Or was it just you and the guitar when you first started? Yeah, no. Um, the, the first album was I made it in my bedroom and then my manager introduced me to uh, this amazing human being who is who is, I'm actually, uh, I saw yesterday, he's going to help on the playing bass on the new Communicate record, but his oh, name yeah. is John Dragonetti. And he like took me under his wing and he fleshed out my home demos and made the first album. Nice. Uh, so that was really cool. And I learned so much from all of them. But I, once I got off Warner Brothers, I got to want to produce myself and, and, uh, and just make, what I want to do and what I wanted to do was make psychedelic music. Like that was like, if, you know, if you like put a gun in my head and I had to say something out loud, what I wanted to do, I said it out loud. And, and once I said it, and once I knew it, I couldn't unknow it and unsay it. Uh, so 
I went, I made a record. Uh, and, and you know, the other big thing was I got signed to a publisher and they were having me co-write with everybody. And doing all this co-writing was really affecting how I thought about songwriting and it was really affecting me. And my... In what way, though? It was... It really instills in you to write songs like a factory and to write songs to be done mm. because I also... It was a lot of, like, social anxiety meeting a stranger and playing music's a pretty naked thing. Like, that's, like, your soul. Um, and that was really hard writing something from scratch and and really in my case like 90 percent of the car rides the other person just kind of sat there and waited for me to have something and i would just kind of have to put the whole team on my back and just write the song and then i was just like why would i why am i giving 50 percent of the songwriting credit to you like after at the end of the day and it, it, that started to frustrate me a lot and then i started to really and then i started working with people who i would like find out were like really problematic like after you know after working with them and that really sucked. Um, And I just, I, frankly, I kind of hate co-writing. I, I, you know, I, I I used, I was really very prolific by myself and, and I feel like the world's like, you got to co-write, you got to make pop music. And that was really ugly. Is it a Um, a good paying job though? Like, would you recommend, because I know a lot of artists feel like that might be the next step if they, if they can't, um, Oh, were you saying you, you, you glitched out? Uh, being a lawyer is a good paying job. Oh. <laughs> if you want a good paying job, don't touch the music industry with a with a hundred yard stick. I got paid sixty dollars for the last communicate game. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it doesn't like that doesn't matter. You don't do it for money. Um you, you just got to I mean that that's 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 the thing, you know. Like I have I've taken on a bunch of jobs to support doing communicant, but I'm happy. I'm like artistically happy. And that, that does mean more. Like that does mean a lot more at the end of the day. So, so when you, when you were on the record label though, but for, before you got on the record label, you were talking about this, this playlist thing that happened. Yeah. Did, um, would you say you saw more success from the playlist than the record label? Oh my God. Yeah. Oh. Big. Time. Oh, oh man. I mean, I got on the record label because of the playlist and the record label didn't get me anywhere. And they didn't even get me on the radio, which they promised was the only thing they were going to do for me. Wow. Uh, and I mean, it was really weird. It's like, I just signed into Spotify and it was on this playlist called smart is new sexy. And then it, it, it got 8 million plays in like two, three months. I mean, it was really fast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was that was such a weird experience. It, just, it felt like like war games or something, like the movie. I don't know if you've ever seen that, like where you you know you accidentally sign into the computer and then he's like hacked into this huge thing. It's like that's kind of how it felt. Yeah. Downloaded the song and then now it's it's got all these plays. But I think with with that came a lot of confidence that I can make music. Right. Uh, but it then came a lot of like soul searching as like okay people are listening to you now and i feel like i'm not displaying my actual self and then whenever i would do interviews and i would do uh i remember i did this this thing when i was on warner brothers they asked me like what i'm into and i was like all i care about is final records <laughs> and uh they they had me do uh they got in contact with record store day and i did like an interview with record store day and i showed them my record collection and i pulled out like blossom toes and billy nichols and big star and nick drake and 
my manager sent me this email that, that the record store guy said, and they're like, okay, come on. Like, what's the actual story? Who's, who's feeding him the records? This is obviously fake. And I was like thinking like, he probably listened to my music and he's like, no way that those are his records. And, uh, you know, it's just a, a lot of, a lot of realization. Part of me wonders if I had Wait, been more. Wait, was it, were they saying that in a good way or a bad way? A bad way. Oh, <laughs> I mean, because they didn't believe it. I think I, I, and, and I, I can understand that. I, I, I think, uh, when, once they found out that it was the real records, I'm sure they were like, wow, it is easier to find obscure 60s music than ever you know thanks right. to spotify it's really cool that uh, you know uh my manager who's a record collector talks talks a lot about like his discovery of, of all these of all these bands and he really had to work tooth and nail and he had to read a lot of uh like record catalogs like stuff like paul major putting out to to find these records and now now it's like the spotify, the spotify algorithm the discovery weekly is, yeah Incredible. It, it really, you know, it knows exactly what to recommend you. Really uncanny, but I, I do like it. Yeah. I found a lot of so were you able to carry over any of your success from your solo career as Dylan Gardner over to Communicant? Or did you have to start from like, scratch? Realistically, 1%. They did feel like a start from scratch. So I made a, I made a third record that was... That was, I was going to call it my, my name still. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I hate saying my name. It feels so weird. Uh, like I, I was going to make a third record called my name. And the very last song that I made, I finally got a little bit of that realm that I was trying to shove into my music a mm -hmm. little bit. It had a little, it, it felt a little psychedelic. Um, and and I'll, I'll also preface it with this. Like, my love of psychedelic music didn't stem from drugs, which is not, I don't do drugs. Um, <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. You're saying yeah. you make psychedelic music and you don't do drugs? Not really, no. <laughs> That's a very, wow. <laughs> uh, and and I, I also felt weird about that until I found out a lot of my favorite psychedelic artists don't do drugs either. Oh, it's like, so, is it like Future then? Well, I still feel like Future probably did drugs at a certain point. But now oh, it's just like... <laughs> Captain Beefheart or Frank Zappa or those two, and that's it. Uh, <laughs> I no, my love from psychedelic music always came from the color, the color of the production, and there were no rules. Yeah. And you'd be listening to a song, and these guitars would just they would just come in and out, and and the vocals would start coming at you with with these sixteenth delay echoes and to me, that was, I mean, that was my first steps. I've always been drawn towards surrealism and I'm realizing this more and more where um, now the only, where people say, describe yourself, I just say surrealist is what I want to be, period. Um, and I, I think that's what was, was drawing me towards it was uh, realism was really not my bag and it was really kind of scaring me and uh pop music started to feel really formulaic. And I understand that a lot of psychedelic music. Wait, can you break down, what is the difference between realism and surrealism? Uh, I'll put it, let's see. Let's say, let's say realism is a, is a picture of me. And it's just a portrait of my face. Okay. That's, that's real and that's everyday life. Uh, surrealism would be a picture of me, but this is floating in front of my face. 
Mm, like Picasso type shit. My head. And this, this doesn't make sense, but also it does make sense in an autonomous sort of way. Yeah. And I just really fell in love with that. And I, and over time you start to, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a big subscriber to this, the whole kind of method of creativity that David Lynch talks about, which is like chasing the big fish and kind of like following it down. And the more I started to do that with my intuition and what I liked and my soul, I realized that like my mind, my, my creative space, it exists in a surrealist realm. It exists in a realm that is, is colorful and it's, it's this giant landscape and, and, and everything do you think uh, that, do you think that yeah. comes from influences though, or do you think, as like a kid, was, do you think this is how you thought creatively, whether you're drawing or whatever it was, or do you think it came from certain music you started listening to and your experiences from being on record labels? And that is a good question. Um, I think part of me thinks that you're just into what you're into, like when you're born, and it takes a really long time to kind of figure it out, and it takes a long time to sound like yourself. But also at the same time, growing up like such a Beatles fan, stuff like Revolver on really resonated with me. And I was really into cartoons that I look back and those cartoons are very surreal and psychedelic in nature. Um, yeah. Like- yeah, it's hard to know like where, where it traces back. Obviously, like my my dad made you know very straight ahead power pop although actually i gotta say you know the last thing he made when he was making music in the 80s is really psychedelic it's it's a song called all in my mind and it's chorused and it's phased and and there's like a backwards stuff and sounds like xtc and i remember asking him about that because my dad you know is a total like teetotaler has never even Dude, I love XTC. I haven't heard anyone talk about it. <laughs> fucking I, something's wrong with Nigel or whatever that song's called. Yeah, dude, that's like one of my favorite songs. <laughs> they were a huge influence too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like my asked my dad about that, and he's just like, I don't know, and, and it's just this weird uh, unconscious thing, I guess. Yeah, so I don't know what what drew me to surrealism, but I know that I would just really just fall in love with it more and more and more. And I started to fall. I just started to see myself and my soul in the work of surrealism and just really was then inspired by psychedelic music or music with surrealist lyrics or um, furniture became a really big inspiration, like surrealist interior design. Um, like fucking Dr. Seuss. Um, that's that's. It's that's a little children'sy, although I do love Dr. Seuss. Like I obviously like the uh like the writings of like Arthur Rimbaud or uh William Burroughs or like paintings of like Salvador Dali. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I said Dr. Seuss. I just think of when I think of Dr. Seuss, I think of just oblong furniture and hats and cats. I don't know. Right. <laughs> It's the right school of thought, but here's what I like about it, and here's what I like about surrealism: is like the the core and the heart of surrealism is is pure autonomy, which is which is basically your subconscious, and right. it's like it's like if you take a pen to paper and you just start 
drawing. And I think some someone would look at that and go, I can, I can do that. You know, anyone can, can do that. But it's, it's, it's deeper than that. I feel like the best surrealism has the, the, the nature of the autonomy brings out really deep layered emotion and feelings because it's, it is your subconscious and it's what you're actually feeling. And I have learned that since a very young age where I was always a person that had the color in the lines. And I really liked thick, like black lines when tracing uh, like characters and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it was when I started to close my eyes and I would not look at what I'm drawing, I would make something way better. I I, I just would because <laughs> mm. I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't so like focused and, and OCD about it. And it, it, it allowed to full creativity. It was reaching your full creative potential. Um, yeah. That was something I really fell in love with. And I just, just really, really connected with it. I just saw it as a world of endless possibility. And I saw psychedelia and surrealism as anything that, sort of transports you to somewhere else. Like I, in the simplest terms, it's just, if you ever listen to a song uh, and it doesn't see that my thing is it doesn't have to be psychedelic and about a unicorn or whatever. It's like, right. you, could, you could be listening to a, a, I don't know, like a James Blake song and close your eyes. And by the end of it, I was so meditative. You kind of open your eyes and you go, Whoa, I forgot I was in my living room. Yeah. And that is to me, that's the height of experience, like of in anything. So that became my new uh, rabbit's chase, which was guiding people through 40 minute tours. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and I wanted to create a realm that's in my mind space and try to go straight from the id to the speaker. And so when the person is listening to that, they are just, it's cinematic. Like you are transposed into another world, which is nothing I learned is a lot of the best records ever made are very cinematic. Um, it doesn't mean they have a lot going on though. Just they, they just feel listening to them feels like watching a movie. Um, like the, even, like the THX sound. Yeah. But it, I realize that doesn't mean it has to have a lot going on, you know, like, like, um, like Abbey Road uh, as compared to like Pink Moon by Nick Drake are both very cinematic records, but like Pink Moon is just him and a guitar. But there's something, it's just every, everything to a T is you know, the album cover and the and the engineering and his just of the, the dark chocolate of his voice. Yeah. <laughs> I like to compare singers' voices to food, which is kind of weird. But uh, what, would, what would Drake's uh, food be? Passion fruit, but not probably would be a passion fruit. That is kind of funny. I mean, that probably is a little bit of subconscious him realizing that I've always thought that my voice sounds like a lemon or a lemon tart. Uh, <laughs> do you, do you like either of those fruit? I guess lemon tarts are a fruit. Do you like lemons? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, see, so I'll, I'll, I don't want to diverge too much, but it is a really fun <laughs> game where someone will be like, I don't understand what you mean. I'll be like, okay, let me put it in these terms. The singer of smash mouth, his voice <laughs> His voice is a corn dog, and then everyone goes, "Oh, okay, I get it." <laughs> <laughs> Smash mouth. Oh god. Somebody yeah. want? Yeah, that's great. So, uh, I, I get. I, I start going down a rabbit hole. I start talking for a long time. I'm sorry. Uh, the, so basically, I made a third record 
And when I finished making it, I like mixed it and I mastered it and I was ready to put it out. I had like it uploaded and everything. I'd spent all the money I'd made on Warner Brothers making it. And then I was listening in the van with my friends when we were on tour. Yeah. Playing kind of the last remaining, uh, I'll call them like DG shows, like the pop shows. Mm-hmm. And they were listening to this and they're like, this is awesome. And I was sitting there went this sucks. <laughs> this is, this is not good. Um, and the reason being, I suddenly heard that 50% of me was still in the camp of, well, this will never sell. And. Oh, you weren't I, all in yet. I wasn't all in yet. I had a baby toe in when I was listening. I was like, this sounds like a baby toe into what I wanted and I can put it out, but why? Like I, so I I went home and I was like, I'm going to write the first thing I was going to do is I'm going to write another song. I'm going to write another song that's psychedelic and, and do the production the way I wanted to. And I did that and I went, Whoa. And I remember uh, when I was getting it mixed, the mixer turned around to me and he goes, this is your first psychedelic song. (laughs) And that feeling was amazing. Uh, oh, also calling back, oh God, I'm all over the place. I tell this story a lot, but like the other big realization with how I knew that I wanted to do that when I made the switch was I was at Amoeba in, um, in LA, like record shopping. Mm-hmm. And I was in the psychedelic 45s bin and someone accidentally put my Warner Brothers 45 in there because it definitely was not supposed to be in there. Oh, and wow. It, Seeing it in there was the best feeling ever. I mean, it was so life affirming. I was like, whoa, like, what if it actually wasn't supposed to be in this? Uh, Damn. Um, But so I scrapped that third album, which in the final, you know, days of that, I was like, this doesn't really sound like my old stuff anyways. And, And I was thinking a lot about records I love and things I love about records and the, and I was getting more, I want to create this realm. And I, and I thought to myself, like this would also be best presented as a band. And then I had a lot of fear where it's like, well, you'd be starting over all over again. And then part of me went, well, I don't really have a choice. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing being that if I made this communicant record and put it out as DG, it would come out next to all those, shitty pop songs so yeah it would be like who's communicant and or you know or let me hear this record and then they would you go on spotify my number one song would still be like let's get started and they'd be like yeah no thanks i'm not listening to that yeah <laughs> um which i would do i always try to see it as what i would do you know if i was if i had never heard of me it's really hard to have perspective like that um yeah of like what it would be like to see yourself live or hear yourself not knowing you because there's a lot of it bias obviously um but either way was it like a scary jump to switch over scariest jump i i honestly felt like i was committing career suicide damn <laughs> um, i basically i kind of sat there and i sat there in silence and i was just like i'm gonna do this record and i'm gonna have to get a job and that's okay and that's okay because i said you're gonna be happy and and I told myself, I said, honestly, I don't know why you were so worried about making money or 
or being successful because if you're true truly are true to yourself you're probably going to be more successful period anyways right which i still really do feel is true i i do feel that if you really are true to what you are and do the best you can for what you are you will arrive where you're supposed to go um, but that was really scary and there's no amount of ted talks and uh hang in there posters that'll <laughs> help you with that and the only thing that did help me was the fact that i liked the music i was making so much uh or i would just go like you mean i finally get to tap into all this music that's in my head and it, oh my god it was a blank canvas and i I hadn't felt that blank canvas feeling since I first started writing songs and I made Sun Goes Out, the communicant album, so fast and it was awesome. It was such a fun time. I would just be in the studio and working, working, working and mixing and mixing and mixing because I had also spent all the money to make the third album that never came out. So I had to, I had to make this all myself. I had to mix six out of the 10 songs myself. Yeah. And Mike uh, uh, mix a few of the songs because he's a really good mixer and I was starting to get really overwhelmed. Uh, so, and I played everything myself cause I was alone in the house and my brother was at work, uh, who usually plays drums and I was like getting impatient waiting for him to come home. So I just played the drum parts and it was so therapeutic. And I, I think, you know, uh, before I die, I'd be so glad that I made that transition. It was the best thing I've, I've ever done. And I, I, I decided at the same time, like, this is me, this is my album, this is the band. And when I made the announcement to, like, the fans that were there uh, already, I feel like a lot of them just jumped. Well, a lot of them didn't know what was going on. A lot of them didn't see it. So then we're like, who the hell is communicant? Mm. Because social media, right? You only, you announce something, but it doesn't mean everyone saw it. Yeah. So when you do your thing, it doesn't. Uh, so yeah, like lost a bunch of followers. I was almost kind of happy about it because a lot of, a lot of my followers were, were people that didn't listen to me for the music. It was more like my associations with YouTubers that I was doing as a side job to pay for making music. Right. (laughs) Um, but that being said, my fans who were there since day one, were like just were so in they were like yeah of course this is you and i thought that was really really cool like the i'm talking like the very first fans of my music but even before uh the music was blowing up on spotify like when it had like 10 plays yeah (laughs) those fans were really into it and i kind of realized like you know your real fans they grew up with you you know uh And that was really cool. And those people stuck around. But yeah, it it was starting from scratch. And that was really, really depressing. uh, Being like, I put in seven years of work every single day, like all day. Played hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of shows. I mean, I played like something like 200 shows in 2016 or 2017, you know, trying to get the name out there and everything. And now I'm completely starting over, like Mm. from scratch. But at least you did you feel like you had at least a little bit of a template to work with? Like you knew A and R's, you had a manager, you had experience being on a record label, so you really knew Uh yeah, learned a lot. Have. So I, I knew a lot, but I didn't know, you know I couldn't get a label or anything to put it out. But I realized that maybe that wasn't the, the worst thing in the world. You know, I just put it I just put it out and then just started sharing it as much as I could 
which I really hate self-promotion. It's really cringy, but. Hey, I, we support up and coming artists here. Yeah. <laughs> like it's awesome when someone else reaches out to you and then you're like, sure, I'll talk about my work. But it's, to me, it's always been really hard to swallow being like, Hey, uh, I'm a big fan of you. Can you check this out? Um, but I think, you know, just like over time, it started to find the right people and then I would meet these people and then we'd talk and then I'd have the same interests as them and then they'd show more friends and, you know, and I did this single with uh, Hypnotic Bridge out in California called She Moves the Sky, which uh, introduced me to a lot of really awesome people and kind of helped put me in the scene. That was also really hard, you know, when I was doing pop stuff, I was like, I'm not in a scene. I don't right. know anybody. And that that's pretty detrimental too because making music should be a fun thing. It should be in a community and a scene and come up together. And that, that was always another dream that I had. So yeah. So basically arrived where, you know, sun goes out exists and communicates a thing. And I'm producing this realm that's in my head and I'm, you know, we're putting out a new song Friday uh, to hold people over until I finish the album that I'm working on right now. This new song is not going to be on the album. This is a, a standalone Thing, but I just really like it a lot. Well, this is perfect. I dude, I literally keep reaching out to people out of the blue, and then it happens to align with their fucking releases. So this is perfect timing. Damn. So, so what what do you do for work now? Has it changed since uh, you first left the label, or have you stayed with the same job? Or I worked at a hi-fi store for a long time. I I helped at record stores because I have a knowledge of. Of records that's like a dictionary <laughs> so did that stuff i did a lot of ghost writing and ghost producing for youtubers and and just clients wait what do you mean by youtubers like you're like like, like funny content you're like ghost writing that or what no like youtubers who want to be a musician and like want a song will oh. like be like can you write a song can you produce a song can you make me sing huh. uh, so i'm like gladly for this amount of money <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a lot of work. um so that stuff is what financed uh like communicant and finance just being alive <laughs> nice and so is communicants a band and you're the front man is there like how many members are there or is it like a band that switches out members all the time or communicant is is like a tame impala type situation where it, it is me it's just me mm. but it is growing into something more than that because my brother uh being my drummer uh is such a great drummer and has a lot of impact on the record and 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 in the in the close in the closing moments of song goes out started you know Kind of voicing his opinion and we started to work together to make something better than what already existed yeah it was kind of me and my brother and then i got a touring band nice. uh, from my friend jeff and uh my friend eric uh who is in the band at the touring capacity right now but uh jeff also started to get more involved and i realized like i want to make this next record with the more of a band involvement treat and uh, treat this like a band. Um, I liked reading about the way that like in Radiohead, like Tom York would have the song in the same way that I've been making my songs and demo them out, but bring them to the other guys. And then their expertise has, you know, yes, I mean, trust is a big part of it. 
you know, you trust that they're coming from the same place you are. And, and uh, it has been good and it has made the songs a lot better than they would have been. Uh, so right now the band is kind of like a three, a three person effort. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, but I guess that's all I can say right now. It's like, it, it is like a three person effort at, at the moment. Right. But you know, it's, it's my band. It's my baby. It's me sitting in front of the computer the whole day. It's like, you know, the other, the other guys, I almost keep in a limbo so that they have a fresh take on what I'm working on. Cause I'm always so just involved in it all the time. Yeah. Um, so are you, are you usually at a home studio then, or do you still take your records to studios once they're like half uh, complete or they, how does that work for you? Yeah, yeah it's made here. Uh, uh, so, oh God, it's one o'clock. Oh shit. Um, uh, all right, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll wrap it up. Um, or I can also call you later. <laughs> yeah, man, you gotta, we, we gotta do a part two or something. Um, basically I think we have an intro at least for Dylan Gardner of, uh, communicant. Fuck. Communicant. There we go. <laughs> and, um, it's not communicant and it's not communicant. So we we got it all sorted out. Um, I love your music. I actually found you from your Dylan Gardner page, and then found Communicant. Really? So yeah, Spotlight. Spotlight. Yeah, that's my my version of Spotlight. And um, I think you're a cool guy. I like your hair. Um, oh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, man. Um, hopefully, I can have you back on soon. And I hope to come to L.A. again soon, and maybe we could just do something in person. But uh, in the meantime, what's the easiest way uh, for people to reach you? i just do the Instagram, just at Communicant Band. Um, and, you know, just follow us on our Spotify and new single coming out Friday and new album hopefully by the end of the year. Hell yeah. Well, this has been the NAS Podcast with... Dylan Gardner of Communicant. And we did it.